0: Well, we would be in Matthew chapter 16 today if we were following along in sequence in our Bible study through the gospel of Matthew. But because today is Palm Sunday, I thought we would skip ahead to Matthew chapter 21, which talks about the day that we refer to as Palm Sunday. So if you have your Bible, you can make your way over to Matthew chapter 21. So we're jumping ahead. Matthew 21, we'll go back and pick up where we left off in a couple of weeks. Matthew 21 begins a major section of Jesus' story, a, a new section. And everything from this point on takes place in and around the city of Jerusalem during the final week of Jesus' life. This period of Jesus' life has come to be known as the Passion Week. This is an odd sounding name for the modern mind, because when we hear the word passion, we usually think of strong feelings about something. That guy is passionate about football or sexual desire. The passion between those two people is obvious to everybody. The word passion has generally a positive tone in our mind. But the word passion is being used in a very different way when we are referring to the Passion Week of Jesus Christ. The word passion can also mean suffering or agony, and that's the way it's being used when we talk about the Passion Week. It might be more meaningful for people in our day to understand this final week in the life of Jesus if we refer to it as the week of suffering or the week of agony. That would probably be more accurate for our modern mind to get a hold of it. So when we hear it said that way, it brings it into sharper focus for us, the week of His agony. I want, to think, I want you to think about this for just a moment. If you knew that you had one week left to live, how would you spend it? Would you change some of the things that you're doing? Would you renew some old acquaintances that have grown cold? Would you share some sage advice with the rest of us? Would you try to quickly do all of the things left undone on your bucket list? Whatever the particulars might be for each of us, one thing is certain. We would try to make every moment a meaningful one, wouldn't we? In these last chapters of the Gospel of Matthew, we get the opportunity to see how Jesus spent his final week of life with us. Well, Beginning in verse 1 of chapter 21 of Matthew, it says, As they, Jesus and his disciples, approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there. With her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. Jesus is at the outskirts of the city of Jerusalem on the Mount of Olives near the towns of Bethany and Bethphage, preparing to make his entry into the city. Bethany and Bethphage are two small villages just a couple of miles from Jerusalem on the eastern slope of the Mount of Olives. Bethany may sound familiar to you because it's the hometown of Jesus' friends Lazarus and his two sisters, Martha and Mary. And it is at their house that we believe is where Jesus stayed when he was in this area. Jerusalem is the seat of religious and political power. It is where the power brokers of Israel reside. The leaders of the nation are here. The temple is located in Jerusalem, the center of Jewish religious life. By going to Jerusalem, Jesus is marching straight into the teeth of those who hate him and want to kill him. If Jesus is primarily interested in enjoying his retirement years, then Jerusalem is the one place he should avoid at all cost. Everything Jesus is doing and teaching is incompatible with the Jerusalem that the religious leaders of the Jews have created. Jesus did not come, though, to earth, hoping to live long enough to start getting the senior discount. He came to live every day of his life pursuing and fulfilling the will of God for him, no matter what it might be, no matter what it might cost him. So he's going to Jerusalem, fully aware of what awaits him there. Jesus tells his disciples what is waiting for him in Jerusalem back in Matthew chapter 20, In verse 17, He told them, Now Jesus was going to Jerusalem. On the way, He took the twelve aside, and He said to them, We are going to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn Him to death and will hand Him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, He will be raised to life. It's amazing that Jesus knew what He was getting himself into from the very beginning and he still goes through with it he chose to enter our world as a human being as our messiah knowing full well that it was all going to turn out like this he didn't go to jerusalem thinking that he was going to be loved by everyone handed a bouquet of flowers and eating grapes under the shade of a tree for the rest of his life. Instead, he knows that it is going to lead to brutal, humiliating torture and death. Jesus mentions a donkey and her colt here. It will be the colt that is of particular interest to the story. This colt has never been ridden which means that it is suitable to be used for a sacred task, and it will be this animal that Jesus will ride. Now, try to put yourself in the place of these two disciples for a moment who are sent on this errand by Jesus. Jesus tells them to go into the village, and they will find a donkey and her colt tied up at a certain place. They go into the village, and there's the donkeys tied up just like Jesus said they would be. Jesus tells them to untie the animals and bring them to him. Now, this is where the assignment gets a little tricky. I don't know about you, but I would be a little apprehensive about taking these animals that are obviously owned by somebody other than myself. Jesus knew the disciples were going to be a little uneasy about following these instructions. So he reassures them by saying, if anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them. Oh, okay. They look around to see if anyone sees them. The coast is clear. They nervously untie the donkeys, hoping no one will notice what they're doing. But we learn from Mark's and Luke's telling of the story that sure enough, someone does see what they're doing. And that person says, hey, what are you doing with those donkeys? the disciples, they probably jumped out of their skin when they heard that voice behind them. Well, they try to look calm and casual and say, uh, the Lord needs them. And amazingly, rather than calling the police, the person says, okay, no problem, and lets them go. Well, in verse 4, it says, this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet, Say... To daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. As Matthew has done throughout his book, he points out for us once again how the events of the life of Jesus fulfill the prophecies from the Old Testament about the Messiah. And here he is quoting from Zechariah 9.9 9, and as described uh, in a moment, when we get a little further into the story, Jeru- Jesus entering Jerusalem, riding on this donkey colt, is a fulfillment of a prophecy spoken 500 years earlier. Well, in verse 6, it says, The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. So everything worked out just like Jesus said it would, and they get the donkey uh, mother and colt, and they bring them. And in verse 7, says they brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for jesus to sit on a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road so people spread their cloaks over the donkey colt to provide a makeshift saddle for jesus other people spread their garments out on the road And still others were cutting green branches from the trees and laying them out on the road in front of Jesus. We learn from John's account that some of the branches being cut were palm branches, and this is why it's called Palm Sunday. Well, what does this mean? What is the significance of what the people are doing? By laying out their garments and these tree branches on the road, the people are making a path of honor for Jesus. They are creating a path of royalty for Jesus to travel on as He enters Jerusalem. They're giving Him a king's welcome into the city. In modern times, when a great dignitary is being welcomed, they'll roll out a long red carpet for the person to walk on. We have the expression to roll out the red carpet, or to give a person the red carpet treatment. And that's essentially what we have here being done for Jesus. They are rolling out the red carpet for him. They're treating Jesus like he is a king, the king. They see Jesus as the coming one, spoken of in the ancient prophecies. The great victorious king, the son of David, coming into his capital city of Jerusalem to take his throne. That's what's going on here as this is happening. The crowds in verse 9 that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. These crowds surround Jesus as he rides along and they're shouting praises and proclaiming the coming of the kingdom of the Messiah. They're shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, which means save us. As pointed out earlier in verse 5, this is a fulfillment of the prophecy spoken through Zechariah. It said, see, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey. I want us to note how the prophecy describes the coming of the king. He's gentle and riding on a donkey. The people in Jesus' day, they missed the significance of that prophecy and what is being said there. And it's unfortunate that people in our own day seem to also miss the significance of this. Jesus is indeed the king. But this king is not like any king we have ever encountered before. He owns nothing except the clothes on his back. Even the donkey colt that he's riding is borrowed. The donkey is a symbol of peace and humility. It's the animal of the common person. The horse, on the other hand, is the animal that kings usually ride, a symbol of honor and power and war. What a radical contrast between the king that God sent us and the king that we choose for ourselves, The king that God sent us is a king of peace and reconciliation and rescue. God didn't send his son into our world to make war. He sent his son into our world to save us, to bring reconciliation between us and God. In Colossians 1.19, it says, For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him, in Jesus, and through Him, Jesus, to reconcile to Himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through His blood shed on the cross. John 3.16, familiar verse. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Verse 10, When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. The whole city was stirred at the entrance of Jesus into the city. That word translated stirred, it means in an uproar, shaken, agitated. People want to know who this is that's causing all of this commotion. And the crowd says, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee, the one that everyone has been talking about. He's here. Now, before moving on in the story, I want to share with you a tribute to the donkey that carried Jesus on that special day. This is a poem by G.K. Chesterton called The Donkey, which I've shared before. And I think it's one of the best Palm Sunday poems there is. And I think it reminds us that even donkeys have a place to serve the King Jesus and his people. The Donkey, when fishes flew and forests walked and figs grew upon thorn, some moment when the moon was blood, then surely I was born. With monstrous head and sickening cry and ears like errant wings, the devil's walking parody on all four-footed things the tattered outlaw of the earth, of ancient crooked will, starved, scourged, deride me. I am dumb. I keep my secrets still. Fools, for I also had my hour, one far fierce hour and sweet. There was a shout about my ears and palms before my feet. All you donkeys remember that poem. <laughs> this next passage describes what happened the next day following this grand parade that welcomed Jesus into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. The king, Jesus, he goes to the temple and is not pleased with what he finds there. The setting The annual Passover festival is just days away which was one of the most important of the religious feasts that the Jewish people observed. Jewish people from all over traveled to Jerusalem to participate in the Passover celebration. The population of the city of Jerusalem swelled by many times during this event each year. And as you might expect, people wanting to make a quick buck took advantage of this opportunity in every way they could. The streets would be filled with merchants of every kind selling stuff to the out-of-towners. Food, trinkets, souvenirs, clothes. We've all seen it. This wouldn't be so bad if it was confined to the streets of Jerusalem, but this same kind of marketeering was taking place in the temple area too in verse 12 it says Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there he overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves the jewish religious leadership had allowed the outer court of the temple campus to become a noisy smelly marketplace for the convenience Of the people who had traveled great distances to Jerusalem for the Passover, there were people at the temple who sold sacrificial animals and birds that were certified ceremonially clean and approved by the priests. It was much easier and more convenient for a person to buy a sacrificial animal in Jerusalem that was guaranteed certified than to haul one with them from wherever they were from and then have it inspected and hopefully certified by the priest at the temple as clean and acceptable to offer as a sacrifice. There were money changers set up on the temple grounds to provide a valuable service Or the travelers as well, changing their money from one type to another. See, the temple tax had to be paid in the official currency of the temple. So the Roman currencies that most people had needed to be exchanged for the temple currency. As would be expected, fees were charged for changing one currency from another. Not only had this area of the temple complex been turned into a marketplace, but it was not even an honest market. People were being ripped off. Jesus refers to these merchants as a den of robbers in verse 13. Many people walked through the temple court area rather than going around it as a shortcut on their way to wherever they were going in the city. The entire temple area was supposed to be treated as a sacred place, but people were using the court area as nothing more than a marketplace and a pedestrian highway. The atmosphere of the temple, rather than it being a place of sanctuary for people away from the noise and the commerce of their everyday lives, it was a place where they could seek the Lord, pour their heart out to Him in prayer, meditate upon His Word, Be still before him, listening for his voice. Instead of that, it was filled with the noises and the smells of animals and merchants bartering with people and the clanging of carts being pulled and pushed from one end to the other, people chatting with one another about nonsensical nothing things and so on. There was nothing sacred or reverent about this area of the temple. When Jesus gets to the temple and he sees all of this stuff going on, he starts cleaning house. He drives the merchants and their animals out. He tips over the tables of the money changers, scattering their stuff. He stops the people from using the temple area as a shortcut. He made a lot of people very angry that day. Verse 13, It is written, he said to them, My house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. God's intention was that the temple be a place of prayer and worship for all nations, for all people. But the people at the temple, they had turned it into a den of robbers. The area where this merchandising was taking place was the outer court area called the Court of the Gentiles. This was the only part of the temple complex that a non-Jew was allowed to enter. This was a special place that had been created where all people, even non-Jews, could come and worship the Lord. But the Jewish leadership had allowed this part of the temple to be turned into an open area market. The Jews were robbing the Gentiles of the opportunity to worship the one true God, the Lord. The people, they were looking for the Messiah to be their conquering king who would overthrow the Gentiles, the Roman government, when he entered Jerusalem. Instead, Jesus overthrows the hypocritical travesty that they had made of the worship of the Lord. We could say truly, the honeymoon is over. The Palm Sunday honeymoon is over. Verse 14 says, The blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the Son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, have you never read from the lips of children and infants you, Lord, have called forth your praise. So in stark contrast to the travesty that had been going on at the temple, Jesus, he immediately begins healing people there. The blind are receiving sight. The lame are walking. See, the Jewish authorities, they forbid people who were blind, lame, deaf, mute, or had any other obvious physical malady from being anywhere on the temple grounds other than in the court of Gentiles. Well, that is obviously where Jesus is caring for these people. He goes to the excluded and the marginalized, and he begins caring for them. Verse 15 makes us want to laugh and cry at the same time. It says, when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the Son of David, they were indignant. The religious leaders are angry because of the wonderful things Jesus was doing and because the children were shouting, declaring Jesus to be Messiah. Lord, may we never become so hard-hearted and blind. These religious leaders, they asked Jesus, do you hear what these children are saying? And Jesus answers, yes. Isn't it beautiful? Praises from the lips of children and infants put a big smile on my father's face. That's not what they expected to hear. In closing, Jesus received a royal welcome on the day that he entered the city of Jerusalem. And in a few days, the crowds will be yelling, crucify him. Not everything is as it first appears, is it? It's easy for us to point fingers at the Jewish people of Jesus' day who had made such a travesty of the worship of God in almost every way that we could imagine, but people in the church have been guilty many times of doing similar things. It's sickening to see that the one place at the temple where outsiders were allowed to come and worship the Lord was the place that the insiders had turned into a marketplace. When Jesus arrives though, he makes it possible for outsiders to come into his father's house. If you're feeling like an outsider, looking in on the church and Jesus and wondering if this is something that you can be a part of, that you want to be a part of, I want to tell you that Jesus Christ is the real deal. Please don't judge him by experiences that you may have had with insiders at churches. See, we're all just people. And we all make mistakes and do pretty stupid things sometimes, all of us. And we, here in the church, haven't always done a very good job of living up to the ideals that Jesus taught, but we love him. And we're trying to follow him and live by his teachings. We believe he's the answer to people's deepest needs, and we really do want you to know him and The same way that we've come to know him. Even though we don't always do such a great job of showing it. Jesus really is the answer for all of us. Let's bow our heads. Father, we we thank you for sending your son, Jesus, as our king. A king like no other. We thank you that you didn't send a king riding on a stallion of war, but you sent us a king riding on a donkey of humiliation and peace and grace. We thank you that you have sought reconciliation with us through your Son Jesus Christ. We thank you, Jesus, that you have come for the outsiders and the insiders. We thank you for your sacrifice for your love and your grace, Lord. I pray that everyone here will embrace that today, Lord, that we're reminded of your love and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.